podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Mitz. Today, it is part two of our season finale. Uh, we have everybody who joined us yesterday coming back to us today uh, to share their favorite basketball story of the season. So, a lot happened in the basketball season. You know, COVID uh, not only... <laughs> Not only ended our football season, um, but in a way, it also ended the basketball season. So we, we actually talk about that in a couple different places here. But, um, you know, a lot happened with this basketball team. Uh, and so rather than get into too much of it here, I am going to go ahead and throw you guys over to the interviews. Um, once we get done there, I will go ahead and come back and I'll share my favorite basketball story. But enjoy. And we've got Scott Chasen here of Fog.net. Uh, Scott the your favorite or the biggest or the best basketball story of the year for you um i think the one that comes to mind quickest for me is the adversity kansas faced and the point in the season i can't quite remember what loss it was but bill self basically after the game said hey the conference race is over it's done it's time to stop worrying about it maybe we can finish in second and that would be a good accomplishment And it was interesting because it was so early in the year, but I think everyone knew Baylor was going to be a juggernaut. Uh, But just the fact that Kansas kind of turned around and did it. And I think the way the year ended, a lot of people got lower on this Kansas team than probably should be the case. This was a team that was rolling. I mean, absolutely rolling to end the year. I think they won, well, like seven of eight or something like that. And the one they lost was an overtime game at Texas that they probably should have won. And Texas was a very good team, obviously. Yeah. I think earned a, a three seed in the tournament. Um, beat Baylor, you know, that at the time was the best win by any program in the country in college basketball, getting that win. Um, it looked really impressive. And in, in some of those other games handled Texas Tech in a game that was never really in doubt. Texas Tech closed late, but Texas Tech never had the ball with the chance to tie or take the lead because Kansas just kind of controlled that game. I think seeing that improvement, how bad the team looked in January uh, and maybe into February, and then just that turnaround of, of how – they were really rolling until COVID and stuff, you know, changed the way the season ended. You know, I spoke to a couple of media members at the NCAA tournament after they lost to USC who were just like, see, this was the issue with Kansas all year. Quite frankly, I couldn't disagree with that more. Uh, the way Kansas was playing at the end of the regular season before COVID hit it uh, was at a one seed caliber level. And if you disagree with that, they handled Texas Tech, who would give a one seed trouble. And they beat Baylor, who was a one seed, who was the national champion. And Baylor in the next game after Kansas beat them took West Virginia, or I believe beat West Virginia at West Virginia. Right. So again, even if you're saying, well, that Baylor team wasn't very good or it was COVID, whatever it was, well, they didn't seem to struggle when they were at West Virginia in the next game. And I'm pretty sure they won even with like Jared Butler fouling out or something like that. Right. They won that. I think it was like double overtime or, or it yeah. was at least overtime. I mean, and it was, it looked like West Virginia was going to get it. And, and for a while you thought maybe they had, you know, kind of like a, a, a COVID hangover. Um, but they really kind of turned it on late and showed the poise that you saw from, you know, I mean, yeah. national champion Baylor, you, there's, you cannot say that winning against them was a bad loss for them, you know, in, in any fashion, yeah. like, so. So, and, and again, I just think the turnaround K you had, I think had the team been complete and healthy and full in the postseason, I'm not saying they would have beat USC because I think USC was a really tough matchup with right. an NBA talent and played, I, I think really well. 
But what I am saying is uh, I'm not sure this KU team ever fully got its due for how much it endured uh, just when it was bad and then how much it improved from there. You know, certain guys had down seasons or didn't close the year great. You could look at a Jalen Wilson or a Christian Brown. Obviously, Wilson got COVID. Um, but, right. you know, the way those guys kind of finished. But the team was coming on actually pretty strong. And I, I think people have kind of looked past that or forgotten that. Obviously, history won't remember that. But covering that turnaround was very unique because I've never seen a Bill Self team and um, Tim Fitzgerald, who co-hosts The Drive with me on WWW, um, he, he brought up like he's never seen Bill Self fail to reach a team. And for a while, it kind of felt like he had failed to reach the team or, or they weren't responding to his message in some way, not to make it sound like it's his fault. But then they did. And, and then they figured right. it out. And, and I think that was the thing. Uh, that kind of made it really cool covering the team just because they really were cruising uh, before, obviously, Wilson, uh, McCormick, and then Tristan and Aruna all kind of dealt with the, the COVID issue. Yeah, I mean, it, it it took longer than it normally does, I think, for the team to gel, but mm-hmm. they gelled really well. And, I mean, you're right. They were derailed in the, the Big 12 tournament by COVID, obviously, which, you know, forced them to bout against Texas. And, like, yeah. you know, I, I thought – I honestly thought the way that they were playing that they were going to beat Texas and then they were going to have a hell of a game against Oklahoma State. Um, who, you know, if, if you think about it, Texas ended up winning that Big 12 tournament, I think in large part. I was actually at all the games, um, you know, that, that Oklahoma State played and they were playing phenomenally, but you could tell they were gassed in that game against Texas where Texas got an extra day off because they didn't have to play yeah. Kansas because of COVID. And Oklahoma State still had a really good opportunity to win that game and honestly probably should have won that game at that point. And so, like, I think Kansas would have, would have definitely had an opportunity to win the Big 12. And then we would have known them as Big 12 tournament champs who potentially could have improved their seed a little bit better to maybe get a better draw and maybe not draw USC. You know, I mean, so it was one of those things where, Kansas just un- was unfortunate at the end of the season to have to deal with COVID and, you know, a bunch of teams had to deal with COVID and they all, you know, it, it's, it's kind of not fair for, for any of them that had to deal with it, but that's just the reality of the situation yep. for that particular year. And so, you know, I, I do agree with you. I think that a lot of people are going to misremember how this team played and how good this team actually was just because of the way that it ended through no fault of their own. Yeah, and and uh, honorable mention storyline, not quite Kansas, but uh, to Oklahoma State and Mike Boynton, who you know I always thought Mike Boynton was a de- decent coach, maybe in the bottom half of the Big Twelve coaches because it's such a good coaches league. Right. Uh, he really, and, and I mean really, impressed me this last year. It's impossible to rank Big Twelve coaches, especially because there are so many new ones. But because there are, you know, Bill Self, Chris Beard, Bob Huggins, you know, how do you, how do you start, you know, doing this list, whatever? But yeah, you know, um, it's it's funny, kind of to that me. to that point when Jamie Dixon joined the conference, you know, like the big the big debate that we actually had over here was like, where does he slot in? You know, he could we 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 could reasonably, I think, have put him anywhere from say third or fourth, you know, depending on how well you thought he was going to do, to all the way down at like eighth. And I think now you're hard pressed to find, you know, two coaches that are worse than him. Not saying that he's a bad coach, but just yeah. that there are so many good coaches in the Big Twelve. And Mike Boynton, you're right, he took a huge leap forward this year. Earned my respect. I think he's going to be absolutely phenomenal for Oklahoma State. So. Um, you know, Kansas has always seemed to have problems with Oklahoma State. I think he's going to give them problems for years to come. And I'm joined once again by Ari Temkin, the uh, the host of Big 12 Radio over on Sirius XM. Ari, your best, biggest, most important, or your favorite story from the uh, from the KU basketball team this last season? Well, um, not much to love about it. 
you know, it was a pretty depressing year considering what we lost, you know, during the pandemic where, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's one thing to have sort of a disappointing season relative to Kansas basketball expectations. It's another thing to have it sort of backed up to, you know, a special team in a special season that could have won and probably should have won a national championship. So, you know, that's tough. Um, you know, what I would say is obviously key recruiting had been down, uh, you know, especially with what we're expecting and used to under Bill self, he'd been so good at recruiting and consistently bringing in five stars and, you know, and meshing those with, you know, three stars that were to be here for four years. And, you know, we were just used to seeing teams like that where, you know, you look at the recruiting classes last couple of years and obviously Bill, Bill talked about it. It was a huge subplot to this past season, you know, that this, this looming FBI investigation, um, you know, that that's really killed recruiting. You know, they probably end up getting, you know, Matthew Hurt, who ends up going to Duke, amazingly misses the tournament. Funniest thing about that, right? He wanted to go to KU because he thought he could miss the tournament from the FBI investigation. Goes to Duke and ends up getting, um, you know, ends up losing. But I mean, Matthew Hurt would have gone to KU if if not for that FBI investigation, right? Um, so you know, I it, I I think it's obvious that it is looming. Um, now you look at at the recruiting class; it's pretty good. Um, and then you look at the transfer portal, and and so I, I would say the best thing to happen, really, you know, of the last few months at the end of the season would be that a recruiting class that really looked pretty bad out of the heels of a, bo- a bunch of bad looking recruiting classes uh, suddenly turned. And then on top of that, you know, you're looking at some really premier transfers that now come into the, come into the play, come into uh, KU basketball that, that can really help put this team, you know, at the top of the conference and, and towards competing for a national championship again. I don't think there's any question that that should be the expectations for this team going into next year. And I don't think it would have been if not for some of these transfers and, and the way this class really rounded out. Yeah, I mean, I think similar to to what we talked about with football, you know, Kansas didn't get to where they wanted in basketball this year, but I think that what happened afterwards is setting them up for potentially some some good things next year. Obviously, the, the big difference is that, you know, this year, I think the, the disappointment was even a little bit more because of the expectations for that prior team. Um, no question. But yeah, no I mean, question. the, you know, the whole new regime with the, with the transfer portal and the, you know, the one-time transfer without having to sit out that I think that completely changes the landscape of college basketball moving forward, which means that these sorts of roster overhauls are now going to be possible. It's going to hurt Kansas. I think in some cases it's going to help Kansas like it did this year in a lot of cases as well. So it's just a matter of how well they can utilize that going forward. It's just another tool in the you know on the on the tool belt for coaches that need to rebuild rosters that they can do it now not just through trying to find good recruits that can come in and contribute immediately but college ready guys that are on college rosters that they think can help them not having to have them sit out a year and hoping you know that 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 team is going to mesh after that that year of the guys having to sit out well yeah and I mean look I you know I don't know that it hurts them because I think you know Kansas has lost a decent amount of players to the transfer portal over the years you know, I mean, obviously Quentin Grimes is one that hurts, you know, as he's, he plays really well in Houston, but like, I, I feel like part of that is just the personality of Bill Self. Like right. he's not going to tell a guy what he wants, you know, he's going to, he's going to tell a guy what, what he needs to hear. And so I, you know, I, I think in some ways this helps them to rec- recoup some of the losses they're going to have to the portal. You know, you lose a Bryce Thompson, you gave a Remy Martin. Okay. Well, I mean, I, different players, but I'd probably rather have a Remy Martin going to next year, considering it. You know, Bryce Thompson, we might see three, four years down the road at Oklahoma State. This guy, you know, becomes the player that we thought he could be. Um, you know, same with Yesifu. I, I just, I, I feel like what they've done at the transfer portal 
so far outweighs what they've lost. Oh, right. I feel right. like Bill, Bill Self will consistently be able to do that. Yeah. Like I have confidence in his ability to do that. Right. I think my, my point was is that there is – I envision there's going to be a year where you're going to lose a guy who may not have gone if he had to set out a year. Um, yeah. and, and Kansas yeah. doesn't necessarily immediately re- replace him with someone that's better. Or you have a guy that you think is going to, has developed and is going to take a huge step forward that decides that he'd rather have a different role somewhere else. Like I, I it's not always going to be the, you know, a great thing for Kansas, but I do think with a coach like Bill self, you're going to get more years where it really helps you than years where it actually really hurts you. Yeah. I'm also going to make a projection here. Um, you know, with, with the Supreme court ruling that just came down this week, um, you know, that, that has basically ruled that, you know, college sports is not immune to uh, antitrust laws and that they are still subject to the free market. And therefore, you know, athletes should be able to, to have no cap on the amount of um, that they could tie into academics. What this means is the NCAA is now very susceptible to lawsuits. And so my projection is that whenever the NCAA does come back to Kansas and, 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 and give Kansas a, um, a punishment, Kansas is going to sue the NCAA, I believe. And, and they're going to sue on the basis of, and this is where the FBI investigation is actually going to help them because they're right. actually going to have all of the, the, the subpoenaed evidence and basically say like, Hey, here's the market. We're not the only people doing this. There's a market for this. And so if the free market's dictating, then and 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 you could tie what they're talking about in terms of in the academic side because of equipment used for for success. Like this is an example to me of what all of these lawsuits can start to play out to really break down the whole idea of amateurism. And I think Kansas could be at the forefront of it because of I believe they're going to sue the NCAA when this comes down and and use the Supreme Court ruling as the precedent for suing. Yeah, I was to say I thought they were going to sue regardless. You know, even if this hadn't come down, but I think this gives them extra ammunition yeah. to kind of show that no hey. Question you know, hey, this is something that, like, these are rules that the NCAA has that the Supreme Court has basically said, hey, these probably aren't going to fly anyway. So if, if you're going to try to hold us to that, and they'll, they'll be more successful, I think, in, in a court than they necessarily will be with the committee. Um, uh, you know, but honestly, we have no idea what the committee is even going to do at this point. I'm wondering how much this information is going to reflect on what they have or, like, what rulings they're actually going to make. But I, I do agree with you. This is going to be this is going to be good ultimately, I think, for 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 Kansas in terms of trying to defend against that. I think there's a lot of people that are waiting for Kansas to get hammered. And I didn't think it was going to happen before any of this happened, like right back when all the allegations originally came out because of some of the arguments that they've made. But I also like think that this is just moving them down towards that path more that I think it's much more likely that Kansas basically gets just gets a light slap on the wrist than they actually get any serious, um, you know, penalties that actually stick after, you know, Kansas gets done suing the NCAA for it. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think they will come with pretty harsh penalties because they're in this, you know, this, this very rigid, um, you know, process right now. The NCAA, I forget what they call this, this new uh, committee or whatever it is that, that will hand down a penalty. IARP. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I agree. They were probably always willing to sue, but now they actually have like a Supreme court ruling that will, uh, I mean, that give them extra ammunition. Probably give them extra ammunition and probably allow a court to rule in their favor without it. They probably wouldn't, but, um, and then I, and I think because of it, we'll set a, you know, sort of set a precedent for college basketball moving forward. And, and because they're so intertwined in, 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 with the shoe companies and apparel companies that there's just no, there's just no untying that. 
And I'm joined now by Steve Fetch, our basketball editor over at Rock Chalk Talk. Fetch, your best or biggest or your favorite story about the basketball team from this year? Yeah, you know, I I think, boy, I mean, I don't know about best or favorite. Those are kind of few and far in between. Obviously, this is the the worst team that Celtics had at Kansas, and I think you probably give them a pass because of the pandemic and everything. But I kind of, you know, and maybe just just because this is prisoner of the moment stuff, but. I kind of go back to what he talked about after the season ending loss to USC, where he, you know, basically made it known that there were going to be some changes and he wasn't going to stand for what happened. And, uh, you know, bam, you've got uh, Remy Martin, who's probably going to be preseason big 12 player of the year. You've got Joseph Yesifu, who was great in the last, you know, 15, 20 games. Once he uh, got into Drake's starting lineup, you've got a D2 all American and Cam Martin, who I think is going to be, um, the best big man shooter that Kansas has had under Bill Self and, and maybe ever. Uh, and I think he's going to get some playing time as well. Um, you had, you know, Jalen Coleman Lance, who was a, a very good player for Iowa State and, and another really good shooter and, uh, you know, potentially bring Ochai Abaji and Jalen Wilson back. And so now you go from a, you know, a top 30 team or something like that to one of probably the three or four favorites to win the national championship last year or next year, excuse me. Um, and then couple that with a, a lifetime contract for Bill Self. And it's kind of, you know, I think it's going to be Bill Self revenge tour next year. Yeah. It's actually kind of funny because you, you really wrapped up th- I think three or four stories into one. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I thought, I thought you were going to talk about the whole lifetime contract is probably the biggest thing because I, I do think that that, and you know, we'll, we'll, I, I'm sure that someone else will have talked about it at this point or will be later on in, in this particular episode. But, you know, I do think that that kind of changes the way that, that Kansas or solidifies what Kansas is going to do in terms of the approach that they're going to take with this whole infractions case that they're dealing with. But, you know, to your point though, like the, the huge amount of turnover on this roster that, that was enabled by the new transfer rule, I think is going to be absolutely huge for this team. You go now with the ability to reload teams a lot quicker and and the fact that the basketball you know like basketball doesn't have the same recruiting or roster scholarship restrictions that something like football does you can have a like basically a turnover of the entire team if you really wanted to from the transfer portal if you're you know s- smart enough about the way that you're constructing rosters and identifying the guys that you want and convincing them all to come and try to mesh and so you know there was a lot of talk previously about Calipari and Shashevsky, you know doing you know basically bringing in a whole bunch of really high star, you know, five star recruits every single year and meshing all these freshmen. I think we're going to potentially see and Kansas is going to be kind of, I think, one of the first test cases of this of pretty much overturning an entire roster in the transfer portal. How this goes, I think, could determine how likely Bill Self is to do something similar like this in the future. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting to kind of see how, how this team meshes together because I think that was part of the problem they had this year was that it took them a really long time to mesh and actually get together and, and really work well together with so many new pieces. There's a possibility that may not happen again, you know, until late in the season, at which point I think that self would probably be more reluctant to try this t- sort of approach again to rebuild his team. Yeah, and you wonder, you know, when, when uh, I remember when Dieter Clausen transferred in self kind of, mentioned about how he kind of liked that in some instances because you could get him in for a year they'd, they'd sit out for a year of course obviously now they they don't have that but they're more emotionally and physically mature than than freshmen and stuff like that so you do wonder if they're going to be taking more transfers now that uh the transfer restrictions are eased a little bit here and everyone gets one free transfer without having to sit out 
you don't have to go chase after some of those, um, you know, McDonald's all American type guys who, you know, for whatever reason, don't seem to be picking Kansas lately. Uh, and you can just go get guys who have shown, you know, like a Remy Martin have shown that they can produce uh, at a power five level very well and uh, bring them in. And whether it's for one year or two years or, you know, maybe three years in the case of a, a guy like a, I think yes, still has three years left. If I remember correctly. So I think so. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be a way that these teams like a, like a Kansas, like a Kentucky, um, they're going to use that to, to really build their roster. I think more so than just supplement it. Yeah, for sure. And I'm joined again by Mike Vernon, uh, our, you know, KU football insider, uh, that we spoke with earlier. Uh, Mike, if you've got one for me, your best, biggest, favorite, uh, basketball story from the year for KU. I mean, this is kind of a forgettable year for KU basketball. Um, I think the thing that certainly is on my mind right now is going to just be, uh, this is like Bill Self throwing his arms up in the air and diving into the transfer transfer yeah. market. Um, huge deal, at least for now. We'll see what changes, but this is the way CBB is going. This is the way College Hoops is headed. And then, you know, you go and pluck Remy Martin, which is like a huge, as big as a player as you could have gotten. So uh, maybe a sign of some changes for the future. I think that's a pretty big deal, so. A philosophy change, maybe it's not really a story, though. Uh, I guess it's a memory, not a story. I don't know. That's, no, yeah. That's no, I at. mean, the fact that he dove so headlong into the transfer transfer portal tells you a couple of different things. I mean, obviously that one, you know, this is going to be the new thing. I think for at least a little while, while everybody comes to terms with what it means to have immediate eligibility for everybody, but also that like you know, the pieces that they had on this team, like I, I think it almost tells you that that self did about as much as you possibly could with the team that they had this year because he went in and completely just wholesale ripped it up and then started new, you know, like he went yeah, I and guess. essentially turned over almost the entire roster. I think there's only like four players on the roster going into next year that were on the roster last year, other than potentially Mitch Lightfoot, who doesn't count in terms of right, scholarships. It's the starters so. that are, that are coming back. It, it, I guess actually another really memorable thing for me is what I kind of heard after Baylor won the national championship, but I don't know how connected they are. I'm going to assume that they are connected. Multiple people were just like, Bill Self is not fucking around anymore yeah. and that he is pissed off. I heard it multiple people after Baylor won that he was uh, upset, wanted a philosophy change a little bit, and that everyone on the roster should uh, be a little nervous about their, their footing. And sure enough, like, look what happened. He went and just plucked a bunch of players, some tougher guys, some elite scorers. And uh, I think long term, also with the you know lifetime contract and stuff, I, I just think it all kind of adds together to paint that picture of uh, he's pissed off. Self is pissed off at the NCAA. He's probably pissed that Baylor won a championship. And uh, he didn't like losing so much either. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I Baylor winning that pretty- that championship opens up at least the discussion, you know, that that maybe Bill Self isn't the best coach in the Big 12 at this particular moment, um, uh, which, which I think like which I think really pissed him off. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't like that. Do not let it be forgotten that Sylvia Silvio D'Souza entered the transfer portal as well, which I saw and like laughed about for a good 30 minutes. 
Yeah. I was just kind of confused. Uh, so, you know, also <laughs> don't, don't forget Silvio. Yeah. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And we're back with Jesse Newell, the Kansas City Star. Jesse, your best, biggest, your favorite story from the basketball season this year? Well, yeah. I mean, if you, I think if you're looking at it from a KU perspective, there's one obvious shining moment, and that was the game at home against Baylor. You know, it really, everything came together for Kansas in that moment. That's where, sort of when um, David McCormick had a big game. Uh, Baylor came in undefeated. Obviously, it was fresh off of COVID, so um, there was some talk about, you know, how much was Baylor affected, and I might get stones thrown at me for this, but I, I've been pretty consistent what I've said before. I didn't think Baylor looked like Baylor, you know, in that game. And I think that sort of bore out over the rest of the season, but you still don't take anything away from Kansas. The Jayhawks dominated that game from the beginning. Uh, like I said, you know, McCormick was just so good inside and early in the season. I mean, I was raised hand here. I was one of the biggest David McCormick uh, guys out there saying this guy is taking on way too big of an offensive role. This is not going to work for Kansas. They need to go five guards. I mean, he's his usage percentage is off the charts. He turns it over too much. He's not taking efficient shots. And, you know, this was one of his best efforts. You know, he goes 20 points, uh, makes eight for 10 from two point range, makes four or four free throws. And that's the answer. You know, that's how you become an efficient player. If you're going to shoot a bunch yeah. is that you're able to hit those mid range jumpers, get a few nice, easy ones inside when, when you get an angle on the guy and then make all of your free throws, which is sort of the David McCormick formula there. So uh, I think if you're looking for the highlight of the season, there's no doubt that Kansas taking down Baylor and giving Baylor its first loss and potentially what could have been, you know, an undefeated season up to that point. Uh, that's definitely the highlight. It, just as far as memories, I mean, it's, it's always going to be hard to not remember the NCAA tournament game that KU went out on. And um, <clears throat> I love tracking, you know, the new shot tracker site and kind of the, the numbers. I, it's KU season was so weird because they went through a stretch in January, where other teams just missed no threes against them, and KU lost a bunch. Then they went through February, and nobody could make any threes against them, and KU won a bunch. And then they got to the NCAA tournament, and USC, a team not known for its threes, was making everything. So yeah. uh, it, it's going to be hard to forget the bombs away that USC put on Kansas. But uh, to me, that's less of an indictment on this team and more just the sort of variance you get in the NCAA tournament. I mean, Nobody, and I would include Baylor on that list probably, uh, nobody was going to beat USC on that night the way that they shot the basketball, especially with the big guys they have inside. But unfortunately, um, that set the course for the, or I guess maybe fortunately for Kansas fans because uh, that definitely, definitely 100% motivated Bill Self to completely reshape his roster right, in the offseason yeah. to do something different. So it's kind of a weird butterfly effect, but uh, those are the two, two moments that will stick out to me for for this season when looking back. Obviously, the Baylor one was a great win for Kansas, but the USC one is going to be hard to shake. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, and actually this is, you know, different aspects of that, of, of everything you just said there has come up with other people already. Um, you know, <laughs> so it's one of those things like, Kansas was was absolutely rolling going into the end of the season. Like, you know, they had the win against Baylor. You know, they had the close loss against Texas that, honestly, they probably should have won that game. And then, played well. Yeah, played right. well on that one. And then everything just fell apart after, you know, McCormick and Wilson both had COVID 
scares. Um, you know, and so like the fact that they, you know, had to bow out of the Big 12 tournament because of that, they, they lost an opportunity for, to build some additional momentum from there. I, I still maintain that they probably would have won the Big 12 tournament the way that they were playing, um, you know, and who they ran up against. And if they had done that, there's a good chance they would have missed USC in the second round there. It's like they would have had a good opportunity of changing their seed or at least changing where they got paired. Um, and would have given them an opportunity for a deep run. So who knows what would have happened, you know, if they, if they would have, have been able to stay healthy and, and that was completely outside their control. You know, you, you could tell in the game against USC, Jalen Wilson was a completely different player. He was not playing very well at all. Um, which opened up so many different things for USC. Kansas was not able to play the defense that they had been playing at the end of the season just because of who they actually had available and, you know, how they were actually playing. And so who knows? Like I'm, I, the way that USC was shooting, I doubt. You know, if, if the only thing that had changed was that Kansas was at full strength, I still think they probably would have had problems because we, you know, we'd seen that story before. Um, but it completely changed the complexion of the game. It changed the complexion at the end of the season for them. And ultimately, I think what you were saying led to Bill Self not being happy with the way that his roster was and completely overhauling the entire thing. I mean, I, I think, I, I believe I, I talked about this elsewhere, but I think they had like four players now coming into next season that were on scholarship this last season that are still going to be with the Jayhawks, which is just completely decimating the entire roster and rebuilding it from the transfer portal. Yeah, it was, it's sort of a little bit like the Auburn loss in that aspect. And, um, self kind of did it a little bit differently there because KU was kind of rolling down the stretch and trying to figure out which guys that they had. And, um, he kind of remade that roster by getting guys back that you didn't really expect. You know, he got back Yudoka Azabuki, he got back Devon Dotson, and then that team was, you know, number one uh, all the way down the stretch, would have been the number one overall seed in the tournament, and then uh, obviously COVID wiped that out. But yeah. uh, this this had a similar type feeling, sort of like uh, Bill Self got embarrassed, felt like the other team on the court was much, much better, more athletic, better shooting than his team, and that's not a place he ever wants to be in. So uh, even the post-game press conference, I remember he said that, and I, I didn't think he – I didn't take his words that literally because I thought, oh, you know, he's a coach, so he's upset, he lost by 34 um, surely this, you know, they won't have a complete roster overhaul, but man, the transfer portal has changed things for Kansas. And, you know, you've heard people talk about this. I think I mentioned on the last podcast with you, but, um, you know, one coach out there, I think he said to Fran Fraschilla, it's like these top schools, you can either work through the draft, which is taking new freshmen, or you can work through free agency, which is right. taking veteran guys. And Kansas is at the top of the food chain. They can take the best free agents. And so that's sort of what Bill Self did in this instant, uh, in this world of instant eligibility. He went out and got some top guys on some other team. And so KU has a remade roster. And like I said, we'll see how this all turns out for Kansas. Potentially that big loss to USC might have been the best thing for the next season because it definitely motivated Self on the recruiting trail. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think there was any way that they were going to go and win a title, you know, having to go through Gonzaga and Baylor to do it. So, you know, losing in that fashion to potentially get yourself set up for the next for the next round of, you know, like the next go at it, I think is, is definitely the way to go. And kind of like what you were saying, like, you know, we all heard Bill Self's, you know, post post game comments and thought he was talking about who they were recruiting, who they were going to bring in, not that they were going to wholesale change out all the reserves that they had that you expected to take a step forward and, you know, kind of be the guys. And like, you thought he was going to build with the pieces he had and just supplement that through the transfer portal or through, you know, additional freshmen that he was going to sign, not that they were going to essentially redo the entire thing. Yeah, and two points on that, too. I, I think you made the point on USC being a tougher-than-average six-seed. That absolutely turned out to be the case. So uh, KU a little bit unlucky in that regard, and that's why when I write those blog posts that everybody yells at me for, like, doesn't matter the matchup, I mean, I, I really am looking at the advanced stats and saying, hey, uh, this team's a little bit underseeded based off yeah. of uh, what potentially they should be. And I, I think here's the disappointing part for Kansas. Um, Bill Self, 
they KU gets really good seeds a lot. You know what I mean? And and it other teams, you know, the, the knock on Bill Self still. And again, I, I'll argue against it because the NCAA tournament is variance and it's it's tough to win games. It's tough for anybody to win games. But you know, these are the sorts of seasons where you really could help yourself in that regard because KU wasn't an 11 seed. They weren't a 12 seed. Like if every once in a while Bill Self as a three seed popped up and made an elite eight or a final four, you know, all of a sudden the postseason narrative on him changes a lot. And a lot of this is kind of unfair because it's holding him to a very high standard because he's always a one or a two seed. But, but that's sort of the missed opportunity here is that you don't always get all one seeds in the final four. You don't always get all one and two seeds. Sometimes a three seed gets hot at the right time and pops in there. KU right. sort of had an opportunity this year to, I mean, put a, put it in you know uh, easy terms they, they had their way to a chance to fake their way to the final four sometimes <laughs> that happens to them. sometimes you yukon you know and the ending is much better than the start and like you said this team seemed to really peak probably about a month sooner and then they had the COVID issues and then they got a really tough team and they got a really tough team on a night that they shot lights out so none of that worked out but like i said um in the game of variance you would think that bill self might get a little bit luckier here in some regard because the last four or five trips to the NCAA tournament the Jayhawks have faced teams that have just completely shot the lights out, and it's very difficult to beat any team in a one-game sample when that happens. And I'm joined again by Mike Plank, the editor-in-chief over at Rock Chalk Talk. Mike, your biggest, best, favorite, or most important basketball story for Kansas in this last season? Um, well, it would be easy to say that, uh, you know, to talk about the way the season ended with that uh, just blowout loss against USC. I do remember seeing something on Twitter. I, I assume it's from our Rock Chalk Talk account about uh, – the, something about the shot selections and, it, you know, if both teams shoot their season averages based on the shots they took, it would have been a tie game at the end of regulation or something like that. K, K just had some crazy bad luck in terms of shooting that game. But uh, I did think it was a little uh, – uh, it's ironic the word I'm looking for that um, the uh, the game against Texas in the Big 12 tournament uh, was canceled due to COVID and the, the – you know, so kind of the kind of the season kind of ended the same way it did for the football team with the cancellation against Texas. Yeah, that's but, that's uh, true. I hadn't even thought about it that way, but you're right. I mean, COVID, I know, right? Yeah, COVID was definitely a big storyline. I know that I believe it was Jesse Newell that I had first seen it from that was talking about that that shot selection tracker. Um, but yes, we we definitely I know that it was tweeted from the rock from the the rock talk talk account and also from, yeah. you know, the podcast account as well. I mean, that was, that was definitely one of those big things. Like it was kind of a storyline for Kansas all year long was there was a lot of games where teams just shot lights out and were just making things that they normally wouldn't make. And then there was a couple games where Kansas benefited from it going the other way where the team, the, you know, the opponent just couldn't make anything. Um, you know, I think like the, the win against Baylor was a good example of that where Baylor still played fairly well overall and Kansas was just lights out, but Baylor definitely wasn't making nearly as much as they normally would have. Um, but yeah. yeah and that, that one was huge too. Um, oh, yeah. Baylor was number two and that was late in the season. That, that, that was huge. Yeah. I'd also like to just kind of throw out there that, uh, I think the news broke, broke earlier today that, uh, KU is going to be playing Kentucky in Allen Fieldhouse in 2021. I know you're asking me about last season. But uh, I just want to uh, remind uh, the Kentucky fans out there that they're they're going to act a little bit like KU fans when we're playing K State in football, and they're going to talk about, oh, Kentucky's twenty three and ten against Kansas. But uh, I just want to remind them that KU has won seven of the last eleven, including four of the last five matchups. So uh, welcome to Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, this is a, potentially a year where Kansas could could finish making up the rest of the ground they need to to take over the lead in terms of the most wins um, 
all time. Yeah, I hadn't so, even thought about that, but you're absolutely it, right. It got That's a whole that. lot closer last year, so I don't remember it, what the exact did. count is, but you know, we'll definitely have that little tidbit ready for basketball season this year. But it is now at least That's within cool. striking distance, unless Kentucky is just phenomenally out, you know, out of this world good this year. And I'm joined once again by Brendan Drozinski of 580 Sports Talk over on uh, WIBW in, in Topeka. Brendan, your best, biggest, favorite, most important story for the basketball team this last season. So the the most important story, I think, it comes really the, the story of it starts immediately after the season ends. And it, it's the biggest story of the entire the entire college sports, especially college basketball landscape. And I I think that's got to be the transfer portal because you saw an immediate change in the direction Bill Self wants to take this KU team. And and it's been a a tumultuous offseason, as all of them seem to have been for for KU recently. You know, you have Jaron Howard move on and all that. But, you know, right after the season ends, we're talking minutes, essentially, after the season ends in Indianapolis, Bill Self is at the podium, he's at the dais, and he says, yeah, we could use to get a, a little faster, a little stronger, a little more athletic, and that really sets the tone for, for the rest of the, the year, the calendar year, really, and you bring in guys who are really good players, young and super athletic. I mean, that's where Joseph Yesifu came from, who I think is going to be a, a really good player. It's where you get uh, some of these other players who are transferring in. I think Cam Martin, if you look forward, is going to be an interesting player. I don't know about on defense, but offensively, I mean, he dominated D2, and I think he'll have a role in the Big 12. You know, you you saw this happen so quickly that it makes me feel like, hey, Bill Self knew exactly what was going to happen, and no matter what he or other coaches say about the transfer portal, the good ones are going to take advantage of it. So just sort of the the evolution over the course of the year, and it's always – so funny to me, at least in recent memory with KU teams and the fan reaction to it, where at the beginning of the year, it's all kinds of hype, tons of hype. Then there's a little bit of a rough patch usually. And it's, oh my God, this is one of the, one of the worst teams Bill Self's ever had. Just a, a terrible team. These guys are dogs. They've got no heart. They're soft, whatever it might end up being that given year. And then you go on a run and, and February looked great. And it was all based on the defense, not maybe as much the, the athleticism or the the skill or the size of the team. And you feel a little bit more positive. It's just kind of the natural roller coaster of the way the season ends. And uh, like, unfortunately, so many have, it ended in disappointment in the tournament. But you could kind of see over the course of the year more and more acknowledgement that, yeah, this team just doesn't quite have the dudes to compete. I mean, you saw that Baylor team or, or God forbid, Gonzaga, who played the national championship. I mean, just dudes and athletes all over the court that KU really didn't have this past year for for whatever reason and the the notion that you could completely rechange or, or completely change your roster going forward you can completely reformat it is something that we started to really think about toward the end of the year maybe even the middle part of the season and to see it come to fruition so quickly after the year ended uh, I think that's the biggest story in college basketball and I especially for Blue Bloods and I think for KU specifically, that kind of ability to change everything, to take an obvious problem and then to completely change it in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, you, you got a couple months and you totally redid the roster, save for the, the Christian Browns and Dave McCormick's and a couple others. Uh, that's a really big deal. That's going to shape KU and again, greater college basketball for all of this year uh, and going forward. 
Real quick, though, I also have to mention, if we're talking just favorite moment of the year to, to cheat and throw one more in here, is beating Baylor at Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, oh, that of course. was one of the greatest performances of, of modern memory. I don't care if this is one of the least athletic teams, least skilled teams. I don't care. Watching Marcus Garrett one more time put on a defensive clinic at Allen Fieldhouse, that was uh, th- that was a truly special game to watch. Yeah, I mean, and and say what you will, you know, about the fact that, that Kansas athletically didn't really necessarily match up to Baylor. The one the one good thing about college basketball is that if you have a team that is extremely good defensively, or even an individual player who's extremely good defensively, like you can lock down what other teams are doing, which gives you a chance to be successful in any particular game. That's you know, Marcus Garrett's biggest games weren't anything he did offensively. It was when he took individual players from, you know, individual star players from the opposing team completely out of the game, which allowed the rest of everyone around him to do what they needed to do to actually win those games. So, but back to your, uh, to your point about kind of overhauling the roster. I think the the thing that sticks out to most of me is, you know, we've seen Bill Self go and get targeted transfers, um, you know, even a year ahead to try to figure out like, you know, fill holes and, and essentially decide what it is that they need to do to fix the roster that they have. What we have not seen, and, and I, I think this is definitely aided by the new transfer rules, but you know, I still think this we were going to see something like this regardless of, of how those, those new transfer rules kind of shook out. A complete overhaul of the roster. I mean, you know, n- not just filling a whole bunch of spots with transfer guys who are going to come and immediately contribute, but essentially, like, I don't want to say running off guys, but making it clear to a bunch of guys that, hey, you guys don't have the the skills or you you don't mesh in the way that we need. We are going to go find other people. You're probably not going to get much playing time. You might want to look somewhere else. Like, we have not seen him nudge so many people out the door in a single offseason like we saw this last season, which... I don't know if that's a, a good thing moving forward that he's now more willing to kind of do that and figure out what he needs to do. And that's an artifact of the way that the system is set up or if it's a bad thing going forward, because now coaches are going to be able to do that. We're going to start seeing a lot more, you know, kids, I think that are being nudged out the door. Um, I do think though that, you know, this, this does help in that now if a kid is basically being told, Hey, you're probably not going to get much playing time. They have an opportunity to go try to find somewhere they can play immediately rather than trying to find a place that they have to sit out for a year and hope that a similar sort of thing doesn't happen, that they get recruited over at their new destination. So it's definitely a, a net positive for the players either way. I do think, though, it's going to it's going to mean that we're going to see a, an increased willingness on coaches for telling their players, hey, you might want to transfer and find somewhere else to go and players actually following through and going somewhere else. You're right, and you can even look at the the end of this off season or the the latter parts of this off season, and you know you saw Sidney Curry, who was a, a recruit who got processed out because you know there might need to be some room for the guys testing the NBA draft water since now you've got three, including a transfer in Remy Martin, and and yeah, there's definitely going to be I think more of a willingness to push those guys out, uh, but I, I also think that if you've got the right roster, you might not really need to to worry about that. And, and if Sel thinks that he this time around has, has gotten it right, whereas maybe the last group, the 2020, 2021 group was not quite right. You know, maybe you don't see that kind of overhaul. I, I think also this year specifically, you had all the other things going into place, the extra year of eligibility you throw in. I mean, 
everything else that was related to to COVID and the pandemic. Obviously, you run into so many different pitfalls that, generally speaking, you would you would have never run into before. So I do think this year was a slight anomaly, but but you're right. I mean, this is going to change things big time, and it's going to, I think, be a net positive for players. It gives them a little bit more freedom of movement, which realistically we all look for in life. We all like the ability to get out of a bad situation and go into a new one. It's going to change things for coaches, but I just look at the way self and the staff and the program handled it this offseason as kind of, in a way, almost the poster child for it. Like, okay, we've got these dudes who are not good enough for us. We're going to push all of them out. We've got all these dudes who we think we could add and all of a sudden be a title contender. We're going to bring them in. It seemed very methodical. It seemed very one for one all the way through the, the off season. And, and sure. I mean, you, you take losses with that too. I mean, Bryce Thompson, I got really excited about Bryce Thompson this year. There were obviously a lot of highs and a lot of lows, but I thought, yeah, you know, there's, there's something here. And, and clearly he had his, his heart set on other things. It's going to Oklahoma state and that's totally fine. And you wish him the best. So, you know, there are, are downsides to it too, but the ability to see a problem and instantly fix the problem through what otherwise would have been considered fairly nefarious means by older standards. Uh, I mean, that's the shift that college basketball is taking. And I think Bill Self and, and again, his staff, have taken advantage of it to the best of their ability. And, and when you talk about the future, sometimes it's not going to benefit you. You might let three or four guys transfer out and you might not be able to land the, the Remy Martins, the Joseph Yesifus, these really good athletes or shooters or whatever, who you think will improve you. And that's the, the gamble, the inherent risk you're going to take. But as far as this year goes, the ability to identify and relatively speaking, immediately correct it, I mean, that's that's got to be, at least in terms of having an eye on the future, the biggest thing for, for KU this year. Yeah, and I think kind of to, to some of what you're saying is that it may hurt you in some years, it may help you in others, but the fact mm-hmm. that now, like, it's it's the it's a new environment and learning to work within it and maximize your possibilities inside of it is what's moving forward. It's not that the new regime is is better or worse, although, I mean, I personally think it's better, but... In all, like looking at it from the program's perspective, it's not a matter of whether it's better or worse. You shouldn't be fighting against it because you think it's worse or, you know, actively promoting it because you think it's better. It's learning the new rules, figuring out how you can best maximize your position inside of it. And I think self has done that masterfully. And you also have to consider, too, I think that, you know, we've we've seen Bill Self over time. Again, especially the last couple of seasons, but really you look over the duration of his entire career, even pre-KU, and, and you can talk about, all right, you know, he, he's stubborn, he wants to do this, he always wants to do this, but, you know, on the court when he's coaching, he has found ways to make things work, and I think this past season was honestly one of his best coaching jobs, being able to take a group that was not as skilled as what he has had before and turning them into a defensive juggernaut through the latter part of the regular season and being able to have a little positive momentum going into the tournament. And again, you ran into a USC team that was not a good matchup for, for KU and, and the season ends there, but he did a, a masterful job and KU, and I don't think it can just be the coach, even though he is the program to a degree, but the, the program's emphasis on taking advantage of the new rule right away. I, I think that is something that a lot of programs have been a little reticent to do just because it is a new thing because so many coaches are opposed to 
complete free and open transfers and self's even said negative things uh, about that or has given it a, you know, a bad rap, so to speak in the past, but you know, the, the best ones, they, they take advantage of the, the rules that are afforded to them, whether they like it or not. I mean, hell, you want a football example, look, look at Alabama football. Nick Saban complained for forever about the, the hurry up, no huddle offense and it's dangerous and too fast and yada, yada. All of a sudden Bama starts using it and they, they're as good as that program has ever been. And, you know, not to make a, a one-to-one comparison in terms of success, obviously, but, but it's, I think to me, the same kind of principle that you don't have to like it, but as long as you're taking advantage of it, you're doing the right thing. And, and I think that's exactly what self has done by bringing in a class that, that I agree with you is better than what we saw this past season and moving on largely from guys who just weren't quite up to, to KU snuff. So you, you wish the best to tie on Grant Foster. You wish the best to Jethro Muscadin and the rest of the guys who moved on, but it feels like a really smart play, just the the smart thing to do for KU to take advantage of this new rule. And I'm joined now by Derek Johnson of 1320 in Lawrence, the Rock Talk Sports Talk. Derek, your biggest, best, most important, or your favorite basketball story for KU this this last season? Certainly wasn't the best season that KU was hoping for losing in the second round, but I think if you would have won the title, which they obviously were the favorite for the year before, would have been a lot easier to stomach. So basically the the best story I, I think comes down to me, what happened in the off season and you could circle bringing on any of the number, the couple handfuls of players that they brought on. Cause certainly they've, they've brought on some really good players, but I think the biggest win of the off season for KU above all else was bill self signing that contract extension. The fact that you were able to retain him, basically for I, I mean there there are certain stipulations in the contract and stuff but essentially it, it kind of boils down to the fact that if Bill Self wants to stick around and if there's not some big change in what's been going on here in Lawrence he's going to be here for as long as he wants to be here and whatever happens with the NCAA stuff that who knows when that will be coming it's awesome to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel you know, let's say you get a one-year or a two-year postseason ban. You now know that, well, we don't have to worry about the Bill Self extension. And if there's anybody who's going to be able to weather any NCAA punishments, which, I mean, we don't really know, again, what's going to happen there. But if there's anybody who's going to weather that as good as any coach in the country, and there's going to be anybody you trust once you get out of that to kind of pop you back up, it is Bill Self. So having that guy back is kind of the center of – all these off-season moves they've made and gives you hope that even with as many new players they're going to have next year, that they'll be able to figure it out. But also from just a long-term perspective, having Bill Self back in tow for, who knows, maybe he wants to coach for another 10 years or so, uh, that's as good of news as anything that's happened in the off-season or this past season, in my opinion. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny, too, because of the, the, the timing of it and then the details of it. You know, details of it is that, it's essentially a rolling five-year contract and, you know, Kansas can get out of it if they need to at any point for one year of salary, basically. So it's not, it's not hugely prohibitive for them to get out of it if they, if they needed to for whatever reason. You know, it's also, it's also kind of one of those things just timing wise. Um, you know, they did it after Jeff Long was fired, but before Travis Goff was hired tells you one, what everybody already knew that, you know, Bill Self is probably the most, one of the most important sports figures in the entire University of Kansas athletics program, 
Um, but just the fact that that like kind of takes care of that. So golf doesn't have to necessarily be tied to the contract. He doesn't necessarily, you know, like I, I think anybody who's looking at this ob- objectively realized it was going to happen one way or another without him, um, you know, or, or if he was there. And so it just kind of takes another thing off of his plate. But like you were saying, in terms of the, the upcoming NCAA infractions case, which who knows when that's actually going to get resolved. Um, you know, it takes away the uncertainty there because now you know that the, that the school is not going to go ahead and fire him for that because then they have to actually give him the entire contract if, if, if I remember correctly. Um, but you know, he also has signaled his, you know, he's not going to jump. He's not going to bolt when he finds out that he, you know, has whatever penalties that he actually has. He's signaled to everybody that he is planning on sticking around and sticking through this. And the, and the school has also reaffirmed their commitment to having Bill Self here. And, you know, it's one of those things, unless he was given like a, you know, a five year show cause where he can't even coach for five years. Like I can't imagine there's anybody you would go to for a year or two, um, you know, that, that you would want to go to that one would, would only take it for a year or two to allow Bill Self to come back or two would be better than Bill Self after that one or two year period. Yeah, absolutely. And it just kind of sets you up perfectly for the future that you know your plan now and that, you know, as much as the NCAA stuff might be hanging over KU in terms of recruiting. And I mean, we can get into that if we wanted, if the idea of, well, you still had like Frank Mason and Devontae Graham and those were, you know, lower tier recruits and they still worked out okay with them, but certainly it, it has hurt them and you're not getting the Andrew Wiggins, Josh Jackson, those guys aren't coming through right now. How much of that had to do with the NCAA stuff? How much of that had to do with the fact that Bill Self didn't have a contract extension to where other coaches could negatively recruit KU basketball and say, well, yeah, I mean, you could go there, but if you're there for two or three years, he's not under contract that long. And with the NCAA stuff hanging over their head, they might not re-up it. But now you don't have to worry about that at all. And that's all of them for today. Big thanks again to everybody that, that joined me today to share you know, their, their memories, their recollections of this basketball season. It was a crazy season. Um, you know, there was a lot that actually happened that made it, I think, honestly, fairly difficult, um, to really know how this, this season is going to be viewed moving forward. Um, you know, there was a lot in terms of the overall turnover on the roster, you know, the, the, the COVID issues that they had at the end of the season that kind of left a sour taste in everyone's mouth. The fact that this was a team that would, you know, that, that normally we probably would have been okay with the, how they ended up, but, losing the opportunity to win the national title the year before in a, a tournament that I honestly thought that they were easily favored in, that they probably were going to go ahead and actually win that title. Um, you know, it was, it was a little disappointing. It was a little difficult to stomach all of that, but you know, it is, it is definitely, it, it was great to see Marcus Garrett, um, to see him completely shut down. Um, you know, well, everybody that he completely shut down this year, you know, he was a true lockdown defender, uh, and that's probably my my favorite, my biggest memory out of this entire season was just getting to watch Marcus Garrett go out the way that he did in his senior year. Um, yes, you know, you weren't necessarily happy with the way that the tournament ended, but he had an absolutely phenomenal year. Um, I wish him the best in, in everything that he does professionally moving forward. Um, you know, he is, he's one of those guys that I think, I think I, I sum it up for a lot of Kansas fans who said that, you know, they didn't necessarily see it at first. Um, honestly, a kind of a lot like Frank Mason where you didn't necessarily see it at first, but he grew and grew and grew and finally just became that lockdown defender that nobody could deny was one of the best defenders in all the college basketball. So, um, but that is going to do it for us today. This is, uh, this is it for the basketball. We do have another episode coming tomorrow that will wrap up the season for us. Uh, like I had said yesterday, we, we do have all of your other stories 
to, to make sure that you keep an eye on the ones that we wanted to highlight. So all of the non-football, the non-basketball stories that are coming. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. I think this is probably going to be my favorite episode of the entire season. And that's saying a lot because we've had some really good episodes this entire season. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of different things. It's a nice showcase for a lot of different sports and a lot of different programs and a lot of different stories that we normally wouldn't necessarily be talking about. So, um, but again, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast with Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for rock chalk podcast. So you can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out, even though we are taking a break, you know, we will potentially have some some interesting tidbits here and there. So definitely make sure that you're, you're, you're keeping your eyes tuned to that. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, um, just shoot me an email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or you can contact me on Twitter at rockchalkpod. But uh, that is going to go ahead and do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Network.